Welcome to Jiri Snacks, snackable episodes about the Jiri exam and graduate school admissions. I'm Tyler, founder of Achievable. We have an affordable online Jiri course that gives you everything you need to ace your Jiri. Full textbook, tons of Jiri questions backed by our memory enhancing algorithm, and full length practice exams. You can try it out for free at achievable.me, and if you like it, the code podcast gets you 10% off at checkout. Also, if you have a question or topic you'd like us to discuss in a future episode, please contact me at tyler at achievable.me with the subject line podcast topic. So let's get started. We have Irfan Gula. I hope I pronounced that right. Yep. Uh, it's been a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, Irfan on the show with us again today, and we're super happy to have him back. Uh, do you mind introducing yourself really briefly for the people who haven't heard you before? Sure. Uh, first off, thanks again for having me. Um, mm-hmm. So my name is Erfan Gayula. I am a professional GRE and GMAT tutor. Uh, I've been tutoring these exams full time since 2009. Uh, I've scored a achieved a perfect score on the GRE, and I'm sole author of McGraw Hill's Guide to the GRE, which is in its tenth edition and has sold over 100,000 copies worldwide. Very cool. Wow. So that gives you a lot of information or knowledge to draw from on our topic today, which is how, what are the top GRE quant question types you need to practice? Yeah, for sure. That, yeah. It's a really important question. You know, I find a lot of times people, you know, to some extent misallocate their study time, spend maybe a little bit too much time on topics that are less commonly addressed. So yeah, let's start with, you know, what the core content you need to master and then, you know, we'll get to some of the lesser tested topics. So, the most mm-hmm. important topic is arithmetic. Now, I'll define mm-hmm. ar- arithmetic broadly as dealing with fractions, percents, ratios. So, the mm-hmm. importance of this topic, you know, number one, you're going to get a decent chunk of just standard discrete quant questions and quant comparison questions concerned with it. But equally importantly, data interpretation, you know, which is always going to be three questions per quant section, almost exclusively will deal with arithmetic, you know, actually making sure you're able to quickly do calculations, manipulate numbers. So developing a solid foundation in that area is important. Now getting into some, you know, a little more granular with respect to arithmetic, percentages in particular are the most important topic of the exam. Um, you need mm-hmm. to understand percentages inside and out. So various manipulations with percentages, you know, things like understanding if they tell you X is 5% of Y, how would you express that? Or if they tell you, after you know so percent increase and decrease in various formulations mm-hmm. is very important so if they tell you you know after a 10 percent increase the price of a shirt was 120 dollars what was the original price being able to properly do that making sure that you're referencing the proper base and setting that up um equally important within that as well percent greater percent less i find pretty much at every section in my experience you're gonna get one question asking about percent greater percent less than and, you know, again, the kind of thing, it might seem simple, but it's also very easy to make mistakes, in particular, having the wrong denominator in your setup. So just mastering that, you know, making sure if I ask you 60 is what percent greater than 50, that your denominator there is 50 and not 60. Um, so, right. yeah. So high level um, with percentages and fractions, you know, similarly, being able to manipulate fractions quickly, being able to simplify fractions. Also, fraction theory um, is pretty commonly tested by fraction theory. What I mean is, you know, understanding... If you have a positive fraction, the bigger the denominator gets, the smaller the fraction becomes, and so on. You know, different versions of those principles. Um, so right. as a starting point, 
that is the most important topic, the one you need to master above all else. And I, you know, another point I want to make there is don't, we talked about this um, in a previous podcast, but it's important to emphasize, don't be over-reliant on your calculator. It's easy to think with the arithmetic, oh, well, you know what? Like if I'm adding some fractions, I'll just put my calculator good to go, but it's going to create a lot of complications if you're too reliant on it. Um, you'll mm-hmm. introduce some inefficiencies. It'll be hard to track any errors that you may have made in putting the numbers into the calculator. So I would highly recommend developing as strong muscle as possible to deal with fractions, simplify fractions, work with fractions on your paper. Do not use a calculator as a crutch. I also think that like fractions on the calculator just are kind of rough sometimes, right? Like, you know, what's four elevenths? Well, on the calculator, that's really nasty number. That doesn't make any sense, right? Exactly. Yeah, right. And right, if it's numeric entry or even multiple choice, the choices are fractions. If you're going to take a fraction, turn it into a decimal, do all that math, turn it back into a fraction. I mean, yeah, maybe it'll work. Maybe you'll get an approximation, but you're going to position yourself to just increase the likelihood of making a mistake, which, you know, as we discussed before, silly mistakes will really hurt your score. Right. Also, I think there's something to be said for the fact that uh, the test writers clearly have a way for you to solve it in mind uh-huh. when they write a problem. Yep. Right. And so if you're if you're solving a fraction problem by turning it into a decimal, doing all the math and turning it back, that's probably not what they had in mind. Yeah, yeah, for then, sure. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, you know, not not to say you have to do things their way hundred percent of the time, but generally speaking, they have a path in mind and it's usually easiest to go on that well trained path. Yeah, exactly. The path they have in mind is the most efficient path, and efficiency is half the battle on this exam. So yeah, you know, putting yourself in a position to identify that pathway. Not to develop bad habits that, whereby you'll detour into you know suboptimal approaches is really important. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that was so first one was just basic arithmetic, and I would put around that, or as as an addition to that, also like dealing with the wording of these problems. Oh yeah, like you talked sure. about like fifty is or like you know there's a big difference between fifty is one what part of sixty versus uh-huh. sixty is how much greater percentage than fifty. Yep. Right. Yep. And just like, what are they really asking? And what, how do you arrange the math? Yeah, definitely. And that's a part of like, you can lower yourself in the sense of complacency thinking, well, you know what? Percentages are the easiest topic. I, I do these all the time at work, in my day to day life. But, you know, they could work in such a way that if you're not really paying attention to the detail, you'll make a small mistake, which will just sabotage the whole question. And, you know, what's interesting to know is, especially with things like percent greater, percent less, I just, they'll have traps for people who have mm. the wrong denominator, right? Like they know what they're yeah. doing. They, they know the kind of mistake people are making. That's what you have to, you obviously watch out for. Yeah, for sure. So great. Yeah. Wh- what do you think is up next after that? Yeah. So I'd say algebra. Now I'm going to define algebra as just working with variables, manipulating equations, manipulating variables generally um, for two reasons. Now algebra proper is commonly tested so we'll define that as linear equation so you know like something like 2x plus 3y equals 12 3x plus 4y equals 18 develop doing a system blah 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 um quadratic equation so like you know first right. thing quadratic equation just understanding like if x squared equals 16 you'll have two solutions but equally importantly being able to deal with uh what we'll call the special products you guys probably have a different term for them but you know a plus b quantity squared a minus b quantity squared a plus b times a minus b memorize those forwards and backwards be able to work with those as they present them in different contexts the point being you know a lot of times with quadratic equations um 
they will take these special products, disguise them. And the thing is, if you don't know the special products in their standard form, you're not going to be able to identify when they're disguised. Okay, so. Yeah, yeah. And the disguising is, is often kind of the tricky part. Like, that was something that I found. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah. you got to hear like, wait, what? How the hell can I possibly do this? And it's right. actually, it's probably a quadratic in disguise that you just, you need to remember those. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's, you know, like the example I always that comes to mind for me is if a thousand and one squared minus nine ninety nine squared. I mean, like first off, your calculator is not going to have enough digits to do the math on that, so <laughs> that's not available. It's like, well, what can you do? I mean, that's where you have to be able to see, okay, that actually the difference of squares is a squared minus b squared, manipulated accordingly. But you know, the kind of thing again, if you don't know the difference of squares generic formula, it's going to be tough to identify it when it's disguised. Yeah, or one that I saw when I took the GMAT was it was like a million squared minus x and then like a 999999 squared plus x or something like that. Like it was Oh, like, oh yeah, that, that's interesting. It was like sure. it was like one of the foil ones, yeah. Uh -huh, it, it uh -huh. was it was one of the special rules where obviously if you foiled it for real it would be still a huge mess, but there's like a special right. rule to minimize that. Yeah, I think you, that it I sounds like know. yeah, it sounds like maybe you have to turn the million into a thousand or turn in turn that second number to a million minus one or something like that. I mean, depending on the question, but yeah, or yeah, but again, that, that's what it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. The point is like these questions, but that's what they do, right? Just high level, just across. I mean, what makes question hard? They'll take a simple concept, put it in a form where it's not going to be easy to identify, where you have to be a little bit flexible in your approach. But again, the flexibility does presuppose a very solid foundation of the core concept. Right, exactly. Um, you have to have that foundation in order to even try with some of these. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then expanding on algebra, you know, another really important topic that I find is a trouble spot for a lot of people's exponents, uh, powers and roots, mm -hmm. radicals, all that fun stuff. Basically, uh, like, first off, yeah, you need to know the power and root rules inside out. There's just no way around that. Now, you know, if you listen to the previous podcast, I'm not a big fan of root mindless memorization right understand the rules that really is important but you definitely need to know them be able to you know get flexibly implement them um and the reason i say i find that there's a trouble spot for a lot of people just like exponents a there are a lot of rules that you need to know b it's not something we do on a day-to-day -day basis and it's just it's easy to look these questions just dive into doing too much math and making the questions a lot more challenging um, right like when do you add the the uh, exponents, when do you multiply the exponents, like how do exponents and fractions interact? Right. It's right, all exactly. that good stuff. Yeah. yeah, you have like negative exponents, how to deal with those, et cetera, for sure. Yeah. Um, and in particular, I mean, you know, <laughs> the one piece of advice I'll give anybody listening to this who's having trouble with exponents, and again, this is a little bit general, but it generally will be helpful. Express the basis in prime form. If all else fails, that probably is going to make your life easier. Because if it's in prime form, then you'll be able to use some rules and then go from there. Got it. So if, you, if you're if you looking at like 32 or something, uh, like you should just make that like 2 to the 5th. Yeah. I, I, again, for the, I, like obviously it depends on the situation. But if, if you're not sure where to go, that usually is a good default. Like especially it was like 32 to the 5th over 16 to the 4th. Well... All right, you can make them both base two, then start applying rules. Whereas on the surface, rules would not be available. Right, exactly. Um, and yeah, and then other components of algebra are really important. Inequality is absolute value. Uh, mm -hmm. Definitely tougher topics, but 
heavily tested as well as a subset of algebra. Um, in particular, the inequality is an absolute value, being able to manipulate inequalities properly. Understanding for the most part, you manipulate inequalities the same way you manipulate equations, with the exception when you multiply or divide by negative, you flip the arrow, and if you don't know the sign, then you simply cannot multiply or divide. And I find that's a trouble spot for a lot of people. Um, and equally importantly, absolute value. With absolute value, you know, the one thing I will say, again, it's, it's one concept I find people have a sense of complacency where they're like, you know what, when I see absolute value, I know it's simply positive, negative, et cetera. Like there's two solutions, but mm -hmm. there is more to it. Ultimately, you should always think about absolute value in terms of distance from zero. That's conceptually what's going on. And that, that sort of baseline frame of reference um, will help you conceptualize the situations a little bit better. Right. Um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that's algebra. Now, the other reason algebra is so important, and, you know, algebra proper is tested pretty heavily, but also being able to manipulate equations is going to be important for uh, word problems in geometry as well, where, you, you know, you're going to have to introduce a lot of variables, which does lead into the next major topic, which is geometry. Um, and, you mm -hmm. know, one thing, just like a little bit of background on the GRE, which is interesting, geometry wasn't as heavily tested back in the day, in like 2011, etc., before they changed, but it's become proportionally a much bigger component of the exam. It's about 20% of the exam now. Um, and yeah, with respect to geometry, I mean, you know, <laughs> the <laughs> generic devices know all the rules at the starting point, uh, some of which are more intuitive and easier than others. Like in particular things that you just, like you need to master, you can't, if you don't, if you go yeah. into the exam not knowing these things, you'll be in, in trouble. Tri right triangles, in particular right triangles. Knowing 30, 60, 90, 45, 45, 90, the triplets, 3, 4, 5, 5, 12, 13. Um, <laughs> equilateral triangles. Equilateral triangles, you know, just understanding the Pythagorean theorem when it does and doesn't apply. Also, not over applying certain rules. You know, sometimes I'll see, like, if you're told a triangle has sides of 3 and 4, people immediately assume the next side is 5, but that assumes the right triangle. You might not be told that. So it's not as though every right triangle is going to be a right triangle. That might sound obvious, but on game day sometimes it's easy. Well, to they like to they like to give you a right triangle looking diagram with that question yep. too, right? So they they will not trick you, but they'll make it harder on you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, if it looks like a right triangle, sure, it's probably close to right triangle, but there's no saying it actually is a right triangle unless they specifically tell you that. Um, right. And then and yeah, then, you've got uh, parallelograms, circles, cylinders, spheres, all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is a lot, you know. I solid. I find you know people, especially like things like surface area. Um, you know, it's tested commonly enough that you know you should make sure you know those rules. But again, when try and memorize rules, understand them conceptually. I mean, that really is important. Like understand surface area. You know, the sum of the areas of all the faces, what does that mean? And you, a lot of times you'll be able to derive the formulas instead of necessarily just blindly memorizing them. Also, uh, coordinate geometry, super important. Uh, you know, like understanding just how lines in the X, XY plane work, understanding, you know, properties of like, what does it mean for lines to be perpendicular? Um, shifting graphs is interestingly something I, I find is pretty commonly tested by shifting graphs. What I mean is, um, you know, like if you have if you have a parabola y equals x squared, and then all of a sudden it's y equals x squared plus five, what happens when you do the plus five? You know, how does that change the outcome? Um, yeah, so you know, rules in that vein are going to be important. Graphs, I feel like, are like the part of geometry that a lot of people maybe don't think of, uh -huh. but is is still in there, and they still yep. test it. Yep. Yep. And yeah, we'll call it coordinate. I call it coordinate geometry or, you know, that's, that's why I, I love it underneath geometry. Um, yeah. All right. So, I mean, we've, 
so far it's really just nailing high school math. You got arithmetics, you yep. got you know exponents, fractions, and you have geometry. Yep, and so this will next? lead us to some potentially advanced high school math slash college math, which is going to be statistics. So. Within mm -hmm. statistics, uh, and by the way, you know, ETS calls this data analysis, what we call statistics, really same principle, you know, just dealing with sets of numbers, understanding property that certain sets of numbers will have. So, you know, the sort of core stuff with uh, statistics, median, average, mode, you know, understanding how to solve for those, understanding the different manipulations available. Um, now, getting to some more advanced concepts within that, weighted average is very important, hugely tested topic. Um, understand it both intuitively and understand the formula. When I say intuitively, what I mean is like just understand. And I know that for the listener, this could sometimes be tough because I'm verbalizing this. You don't really see a whiteboard. But the idea, if one set has an average of 50, one set has an average of 30, whichever set has a greater number, the average will skew closer to that, right? So if we have a set of 50 with 10 people, a set of 30 with 10 people, the average is right in the middle. But if you have a set of 50 with 15 people, a set of 30 with five people, the average will be closer to 50. That concept mm -hmm. is tested very heavily, especially in quant comparison. And it is important to, under the reason it's so important to understand that intuitively is on quant comparison in particular, you don't want to dive into that unnecessary math and make the question more challenging and time consuming than it needs to be. Right. So weight averages, and then um, another component of averages, a kind of average question that uh, gives people difficulty is dealing with evenly spaced sets. Evenly mm. spaced sets are situations where there's a constant spacing between successive numbers. So, you know, like if you have consecutive evens, two, four, six, eight, or consecutive multiples of five, five, 10, 15, and so on, you know, there are certain properties these, these sets have. You should be able to calculate the average of these sets, the median of these sets, the number of elements in these sets. And there are some formulas that, you know, I'm sure your course covers. Um, that are really important to internalize. Mm -hmm. And then the last the last couple components of um, data analysis, standard deviation, uh, really important. Now, it, with respect to standard deviation, the good news is you do not need to know the formula. <laughs> um, yeah. That's, you know, a lot of people will start like, oh crap, there's a really weird like square root of the variance squared, blah, blah, blah. But no, that's not going to be relevant. You need to understand, number one, you need to understand it intuitively, conceptually, because again, they will test it on, on um, quantitative comparison. And then what you need to also know is um, normal distribution. So, you know, 34, 14, 2, understanding that the data will be distributed symmetrically about the mean, you know, 34% of the population falls between the mean, what's standard deviation above the mean, and so on. Um, right. Definitely a tougher topic, but, uh, you know, learning the distribution and, you know, understanding it, the intuitions behind distribution will be important for sure. There are some subtypes there, like there's like box and whisker plots, quartiles, things like that, that are, you know, those are pretty rarely tested. Let's just, let's just table those. <laughs> that, that's for, that's for when you've mastered everything else and you're trying to yeah. aim for like a 170, right? Yeah. And then you're, yeah. Then you're yeah. worried about box and whisker plots. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, the last thing in uh, data analysis is uh, probability and combinatorics, um, which are, you know, do merit some study time. Um, now, you know, I, with a caveat that probability and combinatorics questions can be constructed to be very challenging. Be aware of that, you know, you might in your studies encounter some just brutal probability and combinatorics questions, in which case, you know, it's not the end of the world to miss them. But 
understanding you know basic probability understanding conditional probability right if i flip a coin three times what's the chance i'll get heads all three times um that's very important uh understanding and then within combinatorics like if nothing else understand how to deal with permutations how to deal with combinations right if i have five people i'm gonna create that three an arrangement of three you know how many different arrangements possible if i'm going to choose a group of three how many groups can i choose you know at least those foundational components of combinatorics you should master and then you know of course there are going to be some twists to them you know they might ask you to combine subgroups things like that and you know the higher you if you're scoring well covering advanced combinatorics makes sense because again right if you're at 165 you want 170 you need to know some the advanced topics but at, at a minimum just having a facility with the basic formulas uh, is important got it and then anything else you want to bring up on what you what quant question types you should be practicing yeah and then the last one is just word problems um which is got you know it. i say last last one which is not to say that <laughs> it's not heavily there's tested. nothing it else is. yeah, yeah. Um, it's just the last one that's really important yeah yeah exactly exactly so within word problems you know we could categorize i like to say algebraic translation which is sort of your standard word problem of um you know, like Jack has ten more dollars than Sam. Combined, Jack and Sam have a hundred dollars. How much money does Jack have? Things like that. Um, and then other subtypes, age questions can be be very challenging. Um, and then right. uh, rates as well, right? That's like the one topic that everybody uh, finds difficult. One thing I will say with rates, in my experience, both you know, seeing pretty much every published question that ETS has provided, also taking the exam. Work questions are a little bit more commonly tested than motion questions. So, you know, situations where like Bob and Sam work together to do a job in five hours, Sam alone would take eight hours. How long would it take Bob? Um, right. Versus motion questions, but still are tested, but again, not as commonly. Motion questions being like, you know, Jack is going 50 miles per hour for, you know, 30 hours. How far does he go? Things like that. Um, one, especially one subtype that in my experience is, has never been tested on the GRE is what's called relative rates. Relative mm-hmm. rates are situations where, um, and, and motion questions in particular, where it's like Bob and Sam start at the same point and go in opposite directions. Bob goes 50 miles per hour. Sam goes 30 miles per hour. And how many hours will they be 800 miles apart? Things like that. Um, they appear in most test prep curricula for the GRE, but I've never seen it tested. So unless you're, again, like really just shooting for the stars, want to cover every basis, it's not really worth addressing that. But definitely mastering translations, mastering age questions, and mastering um, work questions, in particular, you know, basic motion questions is very important. Great. Thanks so much. This has been GRE Snacks, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Airfun Gula from GMAT Compass. I'm, I promise you I'll get that right someday. <laughs> um, Achievable has a great online GRE course you can try for free at achievable.me, and you can use the code PODCAST to get 10% off at checkout.